experience. Let's pray to God for his blessing on his word. Our Father, we ask that for Jesus' sake your word may be a blessing to us tonight. May we use it to your glory and respond to it in kind. Uh, May we receive it with a reminder, assurance, and instruction that Christ is our all in all. That you are the Father who cares for his people and that your spirit dwells mightily among your own. And there's reason for hope, and there's reason for praise, and there's reason to serve our God. So may we receive blessing from your word to that end, and may what's presented be presented clearly, faithfully, and relevantly unto your glory. We ask that you hear us in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to be taking a look tonight at Genesis 19. And uh, it's a lengthy portion, and I realize that, but I'd like to keep this all together as we work work through this chapter and work through this portion of God's Word. I tend to like to keep the passages that I preach on a little smaller, but uh, I think this is one of those times where you need to take it as as a whole. So I'm going to do that in Genesis 19. And read the entire chapter tonight. So let's uh, let's turn there and let's listen to what God's word has to say there. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, "My Lord, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet." Then you may rise up early and go on your way. And they said, no, we'll spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. He made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, surrounded the house, and they called to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. Lot went out of the to the man at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any men. Let me bring them out to you, and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow comes to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men, the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they were struck with blindness. The men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. And the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be 
swept away in the punishment of the city, but he lingered. So the men seized, seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh, no, my Lord. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster over me, overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. And therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar, and the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of, pillar of salt. Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley, and he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. We lived in a cave with his two daughters, and the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our wife, our father, drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. And the next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. Firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. So we thank the Lord for his word and pray that it may be of a, a blessing to us as we receive its ministry also. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Ecclesiastes, of course, speaks to us about the fact that uh, there's nothing new under the sun. And that's true about spiritual matters also. We're to learn the lessons of history so that we don't repeat the mistakes that can come from that history. And when we look back at Scripture, uh, we need to keep those, those things in mind. We don't just, we're not just reading old stories. We're, we're reading things, we see things that, that happen, that continue to happen today. Or things that repeat themselves over the ages. 
You know, we have our modern conveniences and modern technologies and there's things about the times in which we live for which we're grateful uh, because of the things that are able to be done that weren't able to be done, especially on the medical side of things. We see that, but but whether we, we think about the people back in the days of Lot or we think about the people of today, the temptations that are out there are similar and, and, and the same need to, to turn to Christ, to flee the dangers of sin. And as we look at this passage tonight, we are reminded of things that have happened and things that will and would. And though the passage deals with things that happened long ago, they still speak to us. And they are days that repeated previous events and that would be repeated. I titled the sermon as in the days of Noah because of the ties to Noah's day. And even Christ would make that point. Yet even though it looks back, it, it also looks forward. It looks forward to Christ. It looks forward to warnings that he uttered to the people of his day and to us. And so we, we looked this morning, or excuse me, not this morning, but we looked tonight at the days of judgment and the days of grace and the days of dishonor that are found here in this passage that hearken to the days of Noah, but, but speak to us today as well in Christ. So we look, first of all, at the days of judgment. And that's probably the easiest thing to see when we look here, if we're trying to hearken back to the days of Noah. These are days of judgment. We know that both the flood of Noah and the fire and brimstone of Sodom and Gomorrah were acts of judgment. And both had those judged who dishonored marriage and sought to sully the holy with the unholy. Of course, there, there's plenty of, of immorality to go around here, shameful immorality. But there are some particular things in the passage that especially tie the two accounts together, the days of Noah and the days of Lot. In Genesis 6-5, the Lord says that the sin of the earth was great. Genesis 7, verse 16, excuse me, in Genesis 18, 20, the chapter before us here, he says that the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah was great. In Genesis 7, verse 16, in that Noahic account, we read that the Lord shuts Noah and his family in the ark. And in Genesis 19, 10, what we just read, the angels pull Lot into the house and shut the door. And in both cases, shutting divides the rescued from the doom. Jesus uses the shut door to describe the difference between those who are ready for his coming, the wise virgins, and those who were not ready, the foolish virgins in Matthew 25, verse 10. He uses that closed-door idea when he speaks of those who are locked out of salvation because they don't seek to enter through the narrow way of Christ in Luke 13, 25. They seek to have the door open, and it's not open to them. Instead, they are described as doers of iniquity and judged accordingly. A time of judgment's coming, and 
And we don't want to be caught on the wrong side of the door. Now's the time to be ready. Not for the coming of Christ the Savior to Bethlehem, but for Christ the Savior and Lord who comes to judge the living and the dead. We want to be ready for His coming. Leaning on His grace, serving Him gratefully, and be associated then with the everlasting city of God in Christ versus the city of doom and condemnation. Family situations here are similar to Noah's day. They're in the midst of the account, only with some different outcomes. With Noah and his family, it was Noah and his wife, three sons and their wives. With Lot and his family, it was Lot and his wife and two daughters. The daughters' husbands, or those who are supposed to be, or are uh, uh, betrothed to them, uh, think judgment and the calling to flee the city of judgment is one big joke. As if Lot were, were making it all up and he was out of his mind. Lot's like, the, like Noah, is a creature of righteousness, who's calling people in essence to repentance while there is yet time to do so, but the sons-in-law live like judgment will never happen. Gospel message is urgent. We must not live without a view to judgment day. It's not a joke. And it should move us to faith in a healthy, obedient fear of the Lord among the faithful in, in Jesus Christ. You also have the problem with Lot and his wife looks back. Which Noah's wife doesn't do. Of course, it's part of a larger problem for Lot. Remember, while Abraham had but a tent where he could entertain as an alien in the land, Lot was also viewed as an alien. You're a sojourner, they call him. But he lives in a house in Sodom. And it's hard for him to leave Sodom. He lingers. And we hear that it's only by the mercy of the Lord, it's only by the grace of God that he does leave Sodom. But his wife looks back and judgment falls upon her. Why does she look back? Well, think about the other ties that are here beside the ties to Noah. Look at, look at what Lot feeds these people who come, these angels, who, I should say, who come. Notice what, 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 they, what he feeds them. He, they, he says that they, uh, he made a feast and he baked unleavened bread. And they ate. He feeds them unleavened bread. Well, the next time that you read about unleavened bread from here is when you read about it in the Passover. When the children of Israel are about to leave in haste from Egypt in Exodus 12, verse 8. That's the next time you read about it. And so Sodom's not just tied to the world of Noah's day. Sodom is also tied to the Egypt of Moses' day. The Egypt of slavery. 
from which the Israelites were to flee in haste, as Exodus 12 goes on to talk about. In verses 11 and 33 there, leave in haste, even as Lot was to flee in haste. And that's why you needed unleavened bread. It wasn't time for it to rise. But unbeknownst to Lot, the unleavened bread was was not so much pointing to the the fact that he has these guests that just kind of showed up and there's no time for it to rise uh, and, and to let that all go. And it's not pointing to the early departure of his guests, but to his early departure. One where he's, he's going to need to make a permanent break from his ties to Sodom. No time to lose. Ties is difficult to break. Ties tempting one to, to stay connected or to reconnect. But it would be a looking back that would lead to judgment. That's what his wife doing. They were to flee to the mountain of salvation. Flee to the hills. It's even as the ark of Noah rested on Mount Ararat. Genesis 8 4, as the flood waters subside. It's even as the Israelites were to be, as we hear in the Song of Moses in Exodus 15, they were, they were to be planted in the mountain of God's inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in. In the sanctuary, O Lord, thy hands have established. Exodus 15, verse 17. What did Jesus tell the people when he was talking about when Jerusalem was going to be judged that people had to remember? In Luke 21, he says to them, remember not to go back to get their cloaks, but to flee to the mountains. Flee to the mountains. Jerusalem was judged like Sodom because it wanted to be a city that rejected the grace of God. The God of the promise. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah did long ago, only it did so by rejecting the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. Like Sodom, it too was not a lasting city. Now with its ceremonies and sacrifices, because Jesus Christ fulfilled those sacrifices, and why did he do that? He did that to establish a heavenly city, an enduring city, a heavenly Jerusalem, a heavenly mountain, a heavenly Mount Zion, a city of refuge and grace built by his work. And he calls us to find our refuge there and our, faith, our salvation there. And never to look back. Never. Jesus associated those days and the end times of which he spoke with the days of Noah and Lot. I'm going to take a moment just to read this portion that connects this all in, in Luke chapter 17, verses 25 to 30. 
I think it's worth it just kind of puts it all into perspective there for us. In Luke uh, 17, 25 to, to 30, you want to follow along there, but he says, uh, even in verse 24, as, as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. And so it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Now, the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind Straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal, the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He never looks back. He doesn't look back to a life of evil. He doesn't look back at a life where he's trying to build his own name and his own city. He doesn't look back to try to win salvation in the slavery of sin and by his own works. He will no longer persecute the Son of God Jesus Christ, the Son of Promise and Grace, which the Sodomites, in essence, were doing as well. He would no longer look back as Lot's wife did, nor as the Israelites of old were tempted to do. Instead of looking ahead to the inheritance that God had in store for them, he would not forget the great salvation of God that was before him. He'd flee the judgment. He wouldn't be associated with the doomed city of evil, the house of bondage, because there wasn't any hope there. There wasn't any future there. There was only judgment. And that's how we have to be. And as in the days of Noah, this is a day of judgment, but also a day of grace. We don't want to lose that, do we? Because we see it as a day of grace by the use of the word Remember, in our passage, we hear in verse 29 that God remembered Abraham. When God brought judgment upon the world by sending a flood, we read that God remembered Noah, Genesis 8 verse 1. And he remembered him for his covenant's sake. He remembered the promise not to completely doom mankind. Were that so, were he to doom all mankind, he never would have gotten past the fall in the garden. But instead, for the sake of his promise, he remembers Noah, and he spares him from the judgment and prolongs his days and those of his offspring for the sake of that promise. Promise that through the seed of the woman seed of the woman would crush the seed of the serpent's head. So what do we have here in Genesis 19.29? We read that God 
remember, not first of all Lot, but Abraham. That's the next time the word in Genesis, remembered, is used. Genesis 8, 1, and now here. It's the same word that's used when the Lord opened Rachel's womb and when the Lord remembered his covenant with Abraham when Israel groaned in slavery in Exodus. God's going to spare Lot for the sake of Abraham. And we're going to see that this is more than just God doing Abraham a favor. This is my nephew. Can you, can you spare him? Can you cut him a break? He, he really did save Lot for the sake of his covenant with Abraham. And that's important to recall and to remember. He really did save Lot for the sake of his covenant with Abraham. There was a purpose behind the rescue. And I'm going to dangle that out there for now. But keep it in mind. We're going to get back to it. We'll get back to it in our last point. But what, what we can say in the meantime, though, is that grace bounds here. For the sake of the covenant that God made with Abraham. God's merciful in his covenant and his promises and saves people in the process. And what we can say in both the case of Noah and with Lot in our day, in a Christian way, is that it is, in a biblical way, it is that for Jesus' sake, the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham that God saves his people by his grace. You know, we talk about God remembering Noah and we talk about him remembering Abraham. The greatest way he remembers his people is what Zechariah said in the Song of Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. When he said that the Lord has come and redeemed his people and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him in all our days, being led in the paths of peace. Lot knew by faith that he was called to be different from the wicked around him. But Lot was nevertheless saved by grace because God remembered his covenant. He came down to save Lot. And what we're called to remember through faith these days is that God came down to earth and was born in Bethlehem in the flesh to save us by his work, to save us by his grace. And by doing that, he showed that he remembered his people's need of him, but also, and this is so consoling for us, that he will continue to remember our need for him. Always. Until he returns to judge and brings the fullness of salvation to our life. How consoling that is for us. That he came down because he remembered our need for us, but he also continues to remember our need for him always. Now remember that we said that Lot was saved for the sake of Abraham's covenant. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow 
when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Lot was saved for the sake of Abraham's covenant. Yet he was, he was saved by grace. He's ultimately saved by Christ. But he is also saved for God's purposes in the most remarkable way. And that's, that's found in, a, in the final point where we recognize, as in the days of Noah, these are days of, of shame. They're days of dishonor. And we recall that Noah was dishonored by his son Canaan. And yet that, that dishonor did not stop God's saving purposes. And here too, we, we, we said it already, we've seen a lot of shame here. We, we, we have dishonor in a family of faith. Because Lot is a man of faith, according to Scripture. We hear about that in Hebrews, of course, in the heroes of faith portion there, in Hebrews 11. Now, we remember, too, right, that originally Lot was going to give his daughters to Sodom to solve a problem. And now the daughters are going to give themselves to their father to solve a problem. And both of those solutions remind us of Sarah, don't they? She gives the Egyptian slave to solve a problem. Abraham wanted to go back to Egypt to solve a problem. And it's all the same clock. You solve problems by going ahead of the Lord, by going against the Lord, you go against the problem. And it wasn't right. And it was so shameful. More shame, as with Canaan, will arise from this. Because out of these descendants we read in our text will come Ammon and Moab and the Ammonites and the Moabites. And if you take time to read about them in Numbers, and that's not the only place you can read about it, but you read about the Ammonites and the Moabites there, what do they want? What do they want to do? They want to further shame Israel. They want to bring curse to Israel. They want, to, they want shame to reign in the, in the stories of Balaam and the stories of where Israelites, it says in the scriptures there, hoard with the daughters of Moab. But we read here that God remembers Abraham through Lot and his salvation. Lot is saved for a purpose. He's not destroyed. He doesn't, he doesn't head back to Abraham, though, and he, and he loses his wife and his daughters dishonor him, and, and he, he has a host of descendants that continue in pagan ways. And they're well known for that. And he appears to be the only one in his line that knows the grace of God. The only one. And that knowledge seems to be such a small glimmer. You know, he wants to go to Zohar. It's a small place. Behold, it's little. So has it gone with Lot. It seems like such a small glimmer, such 
so useless for God's purposes. It looks like all this that God has remembered for Abraham to launch seems to lead nowhere but shame. And yet God remembers his covenant with Abraham by saving Lot, through Lot. Well, how? Well, who comes out of Lot? It's not just faithless and shameful daughters. But by grace, faithful Ruth, the Moabites. There was a reason to save Lot the one who became so small, so what, so little. And out of that smallness, God would remember Abraham greatly. Because out of that rescue of Lot, he would deeply remember Abraham and his promises to him. Through Lot, through Moab, would come Ruth, who would marry Boaz, the descendant of David, the descendant of Jesus, the seed through which all the nations of the earth, even Moab, would be blessed. So what does that remind us? In, in power, mercy, God can take the most shameful things and use them for His glory and to remember His covenant of grace. And, and where does that show up greater? than on the cross of Jesus Christ. Be shamed by the world. Shame on the world. But glory to His Father. The stone that was rejected by men has become the capstone. And that shameful cross is the way in which shameful Creatures like us who fall short of God's glory may be transformed and remembered by God. The way in which shameful creatures like you and me can remarkably be used for God's glorious ends, like you're called to do tonight, and if by God's grace you wake up tomorrow and face the world, you get to do it again. You get to be used to the glory of God as we wait in expectation for Christ's return. History keeps repeating itself. And a lot of times we don't like it. 
But it doesn't mean we can't learn from it or find hope. As in the days of Noah and Lot, we're to respect the day of judgment that's coming in Christ, turn from evil, turn to Christ for our salvation and life. And we are called to rejoice in, in, in how God has remembered us by the coming of Christ. And also be assured that He won't forget us until the day of Christ's return. And even when we live in days of dishonor and shame, we can rejoice in God, in how God is able to overcome such evil for the glory of His name and to the blessing of everyone who puts their hope in Christ. Because you know, you're a Christian, that when your hope is in Christ, you'll never be put to shame. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this portion of your word, how it all ties together in your marvelous scripture, and how it speaks to us in our lives. Days of judgment, days of grace, days of dishonor. We know what that is. We, we at least we're called to by your Spirit. We anticipate a day that's coming of judgment. But we can rejoice when you've remembered us. And when we live in the midst of the world, but not of the world, and it seeks to dishearten us, we can be reminded again of the cross of Christ and how you took that shameful moment transformed our lives so that we would no longer be shameful creatures but holy vessels to your glory and how you can continue to work such transformation in the days in which we live. So may we take heart in that, be consoled by that, and rejoice in your gospel once again. We ask that you hear us in Christ's name.